All right, good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville. If you're visiting with us this morning, we'd love for, uh, for you to fill out a card that's underneath the seat in front of you. It's a connection card. Either do it electronically with a QR code, or you can put it in the box in the back, which is where we receive our offerings as well if you want to give to the church. We just encourage you to find out what's going on here at the church, the ministries, and getting involved. Uh, so we're going to go to uh, Colossians chapter 4, verses just 7 and 8 this morning. But before I read, I don't want this to be a shock to anybody, but supposed to get down to the 30s this next week. I know that's a surprise, and you guys not even saying anything because you're in shock, right? So, um, but I don't want to hear any complaints, so don't come to me and complain about the temperature. It's too cold. After this last summer, there's no complaints whatsoever. If you hear anybody complain, you say, stop it. But you want to do it in a Christ-like manner, kind of like, kind of like what Jesus did to Peter, get behind me, Satan, you can do that. <clears throat> You don't have to use the word Satan, you could use Lucifer, evil one. So there's, there's uh, at least three reasons why you would complain about the 30-something degree weather this week. And this is it. You burned all your, uh, or gave away all of your winter clothes because it was 100 degrees for weeks upon weeks and you thought it would never end. So you got rid of your winter clothes, that would be one excuse. Second is you've misplaced your compassion and you have to keep your cat in your garage with the litter box and so forth. That would be another reason for you to complain. Third reason would be they shut down the schools because we know that uh, when it reaches 30 something degrees in Texas, they shut everything down. That's it. So enjoy the beautiful weather this week. All right, on to more important things, Colossians chapter four. Verses 7 and 8. This guy's name is Tychicus. This is what CF told me. This is how you pronounce it. I don't know if he knew either, but Tychicus is a crazy name. Don't name your kid Tychicus. But he is a beloved brother. All right, Tychicus, a beloved brother, faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord, will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are, and I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your truth. And Lord, I pray that uh, CF will speak those words this morning, and your Holy Spirit will continue to move us closer to you in our behavior, in our beliefs, in our understanding of you, that we may be lights to this dark world. And we say this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. You'll just go to that passage that uh, David read. We're going to take a look. We're at the conclusion of the book of Colossians. And this is uh, one of those sections a lot of times we don't, you know, necessarily spend a lot of time on, you know, because we don't know these people. I mean, I don't know them, but they're important. And the Bible tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. This is the Word of God. And so it may take a little more study, but it is profitable. And we're going to look today at Tychicus. Uh, Paul, what he's doing here to church at Corinth. He's kind of sending them a group picture of his team. He's going to name them all off here and present them. 
kind of like a movie when they roll the credits at the end. That's what Paul's doing here. He's recognizing the people that made this letter possible, the people that made his ministry possible. And Paul gets the limelight. Paul gets the credit. Uh, but, but it was his team that made it successful. And the same thing's true in a church, man. A pastor, he gets a lot of the credit, but it's the people behind the scenes that make things happen. It's all the people that fill in the gaps and get the things done. Just like this morning, I go back there and teach a Sunday school class. Those deacons went back there, set up all those chairs for us, had the sound system, Mark Dupre had the sound system keyed up, ready to roll. All I do is walk in there, teach, walk out. They put all the sound system up, put all the chairs back up and stuff. If you have to do all that kind of stuff in a, in a role of ministry, it takes a lot of your time away from you. And servants are very important in a church. And we're going to look at one that was critical in the life of Paul. And glean from that maybe some insight on the importance of being a servant and where it fits in in our church life. So let's have a word of prayer and then we'll begin. Father, we come before you in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, praying for this time together. That, Lord, you'd grant us insight and understanding that you would direct me as I teach and that your people would be edified and you would be glorified through the teaching and honored by what is said. So, Father, I give you this time and ask that your will be done, that your Holy Spirit take the word and make application individually wherever people may be in their life. We pray and ask this of you in Christ's name, Lord. Amen. Paul begins here. He speaks of Tychicus. He says several things about him. He says he's beloved, he's a brother, he's faithful, he's a minister, and he's a fellow servant. Those are good qualities for a person to have. And he lists them here. So that, the, so that the church at uh, Colossae will know it. And so what we need to do is go through and look at these and see how they all fit together, give us a clear picture of this individual. Paul says he's a beloved brethren. Uh, the word beloved there in Scripture is only used of Christians, and it's only used of Christians that have been united with God. It also speaks of the family of God, as we are beloved of God, and we're part of that family. And so it is very often used in that sense. Another common use of it in Scripture is God addresses His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls Him, the first usage of it in the New Testament is in Matthew 3.17. And in that passage, uh, God refers to Jesus as His beloved Son. And so the first nine uses in the New Testament is in relationship of God to the person of Christ. So it's used in that sense, but it's also used in relationship to uh, other people that are believers in Scripture. The word that really denotes him as a believer, though, is the word brother. He says, he is my brother. And the word for brother is Adelphos. We've used that word before. We've seen it before. Adelphos means unity of the womb. It was commonly used, or the definition is common for males who have the same mother and father. And so what Paul is saying here is not so much that Tychicus is his brother in the flesh. That's not what he's referring to. He's referring to it as a, in a spiritual sense. So what the word originally was used was to denote a physical relationship 
When Paul was writing here in the New Testament, as well as other writers, the word came to denote someone that is a spiritual brother, a person that, that comes from the same womb, and that means they are born of God, is the idea. It paints a clear picture that Tychicus is a believer from Paul's perspective. And I say it in that manner for this reason. You can only know of one person that's saved, and that's yourself. You can't know of other people, but you can build a strong case for people. I can build a strong case uh, for people that they know the Lord. And how do we do it? Well, it's pretty much all external or by what their testimony is. But that is a confusing thing to a lot of people as far as Christianity. Because one of the biggest misconceptions about Christianity is you're a Christian because you do good things. Or you're a Christian because you're a faithful person. All these qualities are listed here. Beloved brethren, faithful minister, fellow servant. Those things are not what made Tychicus a believer. What made Tychicus a believer is the same thing that makes you and me a believer. And that is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is very clear that you have to believe on the person of Jesus. And when you do, you're born of God. To be born of God means that God brings your human spirit alive. Because prior to your relationship with Christ, your spirit is dead to the things of God. You don't react to the things of God. You cannot understand the things of God. But when you come to faith in Christ, God brings your human spirit alive. And in addition, God's spirit comes to reside within you, to live within you. So you're born of the same womb. You're born from above by God. And that makes you brothers and sisters in Christ. Tychicus being a male, uh, Paul refers to him as his beloved brother. So he says, he is my brother in the faith. He is in relationship with God. This word brother was also used in relationship with the Jewish people. And the way it was used with the Jewish people was because of their Jewish roots. They all came from the same father, and that was viewed as being Father Abraham. So they would speak of each other as brothers in the faith. And so in the Christian sense of the world, I think it's kind of barred from that. I don't, I don't have definitive evidence that I found, but I think they borrowed that terminology from the Jewish people because everyone as a Christian is born from above. Your father is God and you're brought into the heavenly family or the spiritual family. So what he is saying there in that text is he's saying Tychicus is a beloved brother. He is a brother that our love has been set upon and he is one of us in the faith. He is, he is with us. He is part of our family is what he's saying. Then he goes on and he says he is a faithful minister. Well, the word faithful there is the word pistos, which means someone that is trustworthy, dependable, or reliable is how the usage of the word is. Pistos is also used to talk about faith or believing, but in this sense, the way the word is structured, it's talking about his activity, uh, that Tychicus is a faithful person. Now that sets him apart from other people because not everyone that's a brother in Christ is a faithful minister. That, that's a definitive term is what it is, that a faithful person has demonstrated his loyalty and his true fidelity to the work of Paul. And so Paul refers to him in that sense. If you were to go back and trace 
the uh, activity of Tychicus. He's mentioned in other places. So let's look in the book of Acts. And if you don't have your Bible with you, uh, shame on you, bring it next time. But <laughs> it's also on the screen, so don't worry about it. Look at, look at Acts 20, verse 4. And, Acts, and I'm going to back up and begin in verse 1, so just go to verse 1. It says, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to him. Now, the disciples here would be his disciples, not the disciples that are mentioned over in the book of the Gospels. He embraced them and he departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. And he stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him, as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of uh, Berea accompanied him to Asia, as uh, also uh, Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians and Gaius of Derbe and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. Only one of those names that ever survived is Timothy. You don't, those others kind of fell by the wayside. I've, I've never met any of those people by that name. And these men had gone ahead and waited for us as Troas. These men are referred to as the seven. They were the seven faithful servants of Paul. And you'll see them surface at various times in Scripture. Matter of fact, Paul's even going to write two letters to Timothy when he was the pastor at the church at Ephesus. But one of these people in this list is Tychicus. So this is occurring right here during Paul's third missionary journey. He made missionary journeys and he took this team with him. This is his third uh, missionary journey. You see him mentioned again in the book of Ephesians in the sixth chapter. And if you remember numerous times, through the reading of Colossians, I've referenced the book of Ephesians, uh, Galatians, and Philippians, because those four books are what we refer to as the prison epistles. Paul wrote them while he was incarcerated in a Roman prison. And Ephesians and Colossians parallel each other very much. And if you look on a map where they are, Col Colossae is just to the west of Ephesus. And Ephesus is on the coast of modern-day Turkey. And then you go inside the coastline there and you come to the city of Colossae. And Colossae was a pretty good-sized city. Uh, and so when he's writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 6 and verse 21, he says this, But that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister. See, he's using the same terminology in a different epistle. In the Lord will make all things known to you, whom I've sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs and that may, he may comfort your hearts. So we see that Tychicus is with him during this time period of the, the prison epistles. Then we have our passage in Colossians, which parallels this which occurred at the same time. So you have him on his third missionary journey. You have him during this imprisonment. Paul was released from this internment, and there was a period of in-between time before he was arrested again and locked up and ultimately executed. So if you want to look in the book of Titus, you will see another reference to Tychicus over there. 
uh, Titus chapter 6. He says, When I send Artemis to you, or Tychicus, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I've decided to spend the winter there. And send Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their journey with haste, that they, that they may lack nothing. So we see in this in-between period, Tychicus was with him also. And then you come to the final reference of Tychicus, which if you're in Titus, go back left to 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, Paul speaks of some of those people. He says, verse 9, Be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. And so this Demas guy, he at one time was a faithful servant, but he, he, he departs. He goes after the world. He's going back in the world to backslide is what we'd say. Um, then he talks in here, he says, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for the ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. So Tychicus is on the road again. Now stop and think about this. He refers to Tychicus as a faithful minister. And you think about the journeys here. You know, we travel in our day and time and it's, and it's no big deal. You know, I made this past week uh, a day trip out to uh, Central Texas. I was 170 something miles. And I got up that morning, drove out there, uh, did some work there for about four hours and then drove back. And then that evening, uh, went and conducted a small group setting and then went back home. And that one day I covered close to 400 miles in one day and was able to do all the stuff I needed to do. In Paul's day and time, travel was done on foot. And it required a lot because you had to have food, you had to have water, plus you had all the materials that you had with you. And to travel and to do the things that they did in that day and time took a lot of commitment. It took a lot of commitment because what it did is it took Tychicus away from his family for an extended period of time. When you look at the travels of Paul, it's mind-boggling the area that he covered. And he did all that on foot, just walking down the road. Plus, you're faced with the general hostilities of that day. Uh, Christianity was not viewed in a favorable light in that day and time. The Jewish people didn't receive them. Many of the Gentiles were opposed to them. It was a very difficult thing. And to stay faithful through that whole time to Paul speaks a lot of the life of Tychicus. Let me tell you something else that's very important. Paul's writing this letter from prison. And while he's writing this letter from prison, many of Paul's former friends used his imprisonment to better themselves. They would say things such as, you know, Paul's in prison, but because I walk with the Lord, you know, that's how preachers do it. Because I walk with the Lord, the favor of God rests upon me over Paul. You know, they would separate themselves from that. So they would throw disparaging comments upon him. Paul even says so in the book of Philippians. He says some people preach Christ out of envy and strife, seeking to add more pain to my chains. 
But he said, I still rejoice for at least Christ is preached. But see, they were, they, were, they were opposed to him. Not only that, but think about this, folks. Just think about your own life. Can you narrow your list of friends down pretty short when you get in trouble? Yeah, you let something bad happen in your life, and you'll find out who your real friends are. You have a dumb attack and go do something stupid, and watch how many people bail, man. People will leave you alone. Tychicus didn't do that. Tychicus was willing to stand outside of Paul's cell, interact with Paul, minister to Paul, and yet you realize being an associate of Paul, he ran a great risk of being imprisoned himself. He put a lot on the table to do that. And Paul, with all the people who knew Paul, Paul at the end of his life can name just a few. He says, I'm here alone. He said, when I went to trial, no one stood with me. Everyone abandoned me. They left me alone. But there was a few that stayed with him, and everyone knew who those few were. Timothy and Tychicus were two of them that were his close allies and associates. That's what a faithful friend is. A faithful friend is someone that is faithful, not based on the circumstances in a person's life, but are devoted to that person as an individual. You need faithful people in your life. You need people, and don't forget those faithful people. Paul isn't forgetting them. Paul says, Tychicus was a faithful friend. He stuck, through, he stuck with me through thick and thin, through struggles and trials and difficulties. It didn't matter what came my way. Tychicus was right there with me. He is a faithful minister. He is, he is my dear, beloved brother in Christ. You see why Paul has those words of endearment and how much they meant to him. Because when he was alone, he had one or two encouragers that stayed there by his side. That is an important role in a church body, to be a person that is faithful in service to others. is very, very important. That no matter what that person may go through, you stick with them, and you stay beside them, and you work with them, no matter what takes place. And Paul remembers the work of his servant, Tychicus, because of what he's done. Paul rejoices in that, and Paul is happy with that. Because, folks, I'm telling you, when things get bad, people will leave you stranded. And that's what they did with him. And so he says, Tychicus is a beloved brethren a faithful minister. Now, this word for minister here is a word that's very common. It's the word dikonos. It's a derivative of the word where we get our word deacon from. And it means one that serves. It means to actually hasten to give aid to others is what the word means. And it's used for deacons because deacons in a church body are there to give aid to others. Just like I said this morning, the deacon setting the chairs up, preparing that whole area. People come in there for the class, we leave, and the deacons put everything back up where it belongs. Those people are critical to the function of a church, critical to the operation of the body of Christ. And, and, and in this case, Tychicus didn't feel a specific office or anything or position. He was just Paul's fellow servant. He came alongside Paul and he was willing to serve. He would, he would hasten to come alongside others. The role of deacons in the church was established in Scripture 
for two primary reasons. One, it said to wait on tables, and two, take, take care of the needs of the widows that were around. And so deacons would do that. They would go do that work to ensure that the, the minister in the church could spend their time to study and researching the word and preparing to teach the people. So servants are very important in the church. Everyone in the church is to be a servant. The whole essence of Christianity is to serve one another. Jesus spoke a lot about that. Let's look at some scriptures where he made comments. Go to Matthew, the 25th chapter. Matthew chapter 25. And I want you to look uh, beginning at verse uh, let's just begin verse 31 I'll just read through here when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. He will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So you see, service is a very important thing. When we serve others, that's how we serve God. When you reach out to minister to the needs of a person in need, you're in reality serving God. Look at chapter 23, what he says over there. And look, if you would, at, uh, oh, look at verse 11. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be abased, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Christ speaks of service in this passage. And he says the greatest person in the kingdom of God is the one that is the servant for all. Look at uh, Mark chapter 9. Turn over to the gospel of Mark. And if you look in Mark chapter 9, I want you to look at uh, uh, beginning in verse 35. Mark 9 and 35. And he sat down and he called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servants of all. Then he took a little child and set him in the midst of him. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And so what he's saying there 
is it's important to have a servant's heart. Look at verse 41. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he'll by no means lose his reward. Service permeates all of the New Testament. Chapter 10, and look at uh, verse 42. Mark 10, 42. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them? Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant, and whoever you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Paul speaks of Tychicus as being that faithful servant. He says he has a heart that is committed and he's consistent in what he does. He serves others. And so the function in church is to serve others, to serve others. And yet a lot of what's done in church or what a lot of people think about church is that church is here to serve them. And that may sound, you know, goofy or different, but that's the reality, folks. If you look at Scripture, Scripture doesn't speak a lot about you being served. It doesn't say a lot about it. If you were going to do a Bible study on that, you would not need a Bible because it's not in there. That's, that's pretty clear. And a lot of people rate churches based upon how they were served when they were in the church. And the role of the believer is to serve. That is the role of the believer, to serve others in the body, to come with a mindset of how can I serve, how can I help others. And I think a lot of this began in the church when churches began back in the late 70s, early 80s. It began a big movement called the seeker-sensitive movement. Some people may be key to that. What is the seeker-sensitive Church, a seeker-sensitive church is a church that's geared towards people that are seeking. I got my own views on that about people seeking God and such. But anyway, they would take churches like that and they would say, okay, we're going to, for lack of a better phrase, dumb down the scriptures. And we're not going to use words such as, such as sin, judgment, words like holy. They're not used. Why? Because that's offensive to a lot of people. Well, let me give you a clue. Jesus himself said, I didn't come to bring peace. He said, I can't bring a sword. That doesn't mean being rude, but what it does mean is this. It means speaking the truth. And when you speak the truth, it's going to be offensive and it's going to be painful. But the whole idea is this. We are all sinners and we all come short of the glory of God. And God lays certain specific guidelines out. And the idea in Scripture is that you pull yourself in line with that if you want a relationship with God. God does not alter himself to be in relationship with me. I must alter myself to be in relationship with God. In the Old Testament, when you came to worship God, he didn't bring the sacrifice. You brought the sacrifice. He's there. And you're going to worship him. In the New Testament, I am enabled to worship God 
because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I come humbly before God to be cleansed of my sin to where I can rightly relate to God. That's the idea of Scripture. So the idea of being served is foreign in Scripture. The idea is, who can I serve? And that's the focus that we need to have. That's the focus Tychicus had. It says he is a faithful minister, and then it says a fellow servant. And that literally means a slave of Christ is what he is. He's a slave with me in the ministry. He is a fellow servant. And look at this phrase, in the Lord. So all this relates to his relationship with the Lord. It says Tychicus is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. Because of his relationship to Christ, these are the qualities that have surfaced in the life of Tychicus. And he says, We'll tell you all the news about me. So Tychicus is going to come and he's going to share with the church at Colossae all the things that has happened with Paul. He's going to give them an update. But then he says something else. He says, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. And what is the purpose, Paul? The purpose begins with the word that. That he may know your circumstances and comfort your hearts. So Tychicus is going to the church at Colossae to comfort those people, to encourage those people. That word encourage, parakaleo, is the word that is used there. Compound word. And it, and it simply means to come beside someone, to come alongside and to call out to them. An encourager is someone that comes alongside you to help you whatever you're faced with in life. One of the ways it's illustrated to me, I remember as a little kid learning to ride my bicycle. I got a bicycle for a present, and my dad would not allow training wheels. He says, you're not going to get training wheels because that will, that will keep you from being able to ride the bike properly. He said, you need to just learn to ride the bike. Now, in my day and age, riding a bike was a critical thing in the, in the youthful life of a boy. Because parents back in that day, they didn't take you anywhere. <laughs> I mean, if they took you somewhere, you were going shopping, that wasn't about you. You're going to the grocery store, and that wasn't about you. Or you were going to see your grandparents, and that wasn't about you until you got there. And when you got there, it was good, but going, it wasn't so much fun most of the time. Because you had to sit still. And about every five minutes, me or one of my sisters would ask, how far is it? And uh, that's a question I ask a lot by kids in the back seat of a car because it's a boring thing sitting back there. But if you didn't have a bicycle, you were, use a prison terminology, you were stuck out. You didn't, you didn't have a way to get anywhere. You were there. That's all there was. So my dad said, I'm going to teach you how to ride your bike. And I said, all right. So I was all excited. He said, get on your bike. And he said, let me show you how to do it. He gets on there, and he takes off riding, doing the pedals, holding the wheel, and turns the bike, and comes back. I said, man, that looks easy. He said, well, you sit out here and do that for a while, and I'll check on you. And he went in the house. So I get up on the bike, and I sit on the bike, and I couldn't even hold the bike up. I kept falling over on the street. Uh, and it was painful and it was frustrating 
And this went on for about 30 minutes. And for about 30 minutes, my dad came out and he said, how you doing on that bike? Let me see how you ride it. I said, dad, I can't even get on it. He said, well, let me help you. And what he did is he came alongside me and he grabbed a hold of the handlebars because at first you can't keep those handlebars straight. He held those handlebars and he would walk beside me and I would pedal the bike. And he was instructing me. He said, don't look at your feet, look ahead. Because my tendency when I was riding that bike was to look at the feet, watch my feet. He said, you got to see where you're going and you got to keep this front wheel straight. And he did that a number of times with me and eventually, you know what he did? He let go of it. And when he let go of it, panic entered my body from head to toe, man. And the wheel went to, prior to that, man, the wheel was doing great. But all of a sudden, man, that wheel starts shaking. Looked like jitterbug. I was going down the road back and forth like this. And I'd go about 10 feet and wreck. And I'd get back up. He'd say, get back up and get back on that bike. I'd get back on it. And then eventually I learned how to start it myself. I learned how to hold the handlebars straight. And I could go here and there. And everything went good. But I could have never got to that place if it hadn't been for him coming alongside me and giving me that call, that encouragement. You can do it, son. Come on, you can do it. Pump those pedals, man. Hold the wheel straight or bar straight. Keep your eyes straight ahead. You can do it. And that encouragement and that help was a great asset to me. Because I'm going to tell you, prior to that, when I didn't have an encourager, falling was fatal. I mean, I'd fall, it was final, man. I'd get back up and I'd fall again and fall again. And a lot of times that's how it is in life, folks. We fall, and it's helpful if you have an encourager come along. When you have an encourager coming alongside you and telling you, look, you can make it. You can do it. Those people are valuable in life. And what I gather out of this text that Paul's saying is the two dominant qualities in the life of Tychicus was Tychicus was faithful. In other words, he didn't quit no matter what came in the pathway, no matter what happened to Paul, no matter how embarrassing, how dangerous, how long a trips he had to take, he stuck with him all the way. Faithfulness and the ability to encourage others are two of the great tools that I can gather from this text of Scripture. And so what that would tell me is that I should be faithful and I should also be an encourager to others. Because many times people, you've fallen, I've fallen. And when you fall, a lot of times people don't encourage, they abandon you. And what you got to do when someone falls is be quick to come alongside them and say, hey, let me tell you. And a lot of times when you do that, it's somewhat painful because there has to be some instruction or some rebuke put in there. But the purpose for it is what? So that person can get back on that bike and start riding again. That's the real mission in life. Tychicus stuck with Paul all the way through his ministry. He was an encourager. He was a servant. He was a helper. He was faithful in what he did. And you and I as believers, if we could draw two things from this, it would be this. Be faithful. Be a servant. And be an encourager. That's three. I said two. That's three. I'm aware it was three. Uh, but do those three things, faithful, servant, and encourager, goes a long ways in ministry to other people. People a lot of times say, well, there's nothing I can do. I'm not skilled in doing anything at church. You can be faithful, you can serve, and you can encourage. 
And those three things are critical. Because when it comes to the end of Paul's life, when he's in, in 2 Timothy, what's he doing? He's remembering those people that stuck with him. He's remembering those people that helped him. Because all the little parts are what usually gets the big part moving. And they're all important. Everyone has a valuable role in the body. Because everyone can be faithful, everyone can, be, uh, can serve, and everyone can encourage others. Doesn't cost you a lot to do that, but it's very helpful to the body. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, that you are faithful. We thank you, God, that you provide for us. We thankful, God, that you encourage us. Father, help us to do the same. Help us to be faithful servants that encourage others in all that we do. Help us go from here today and do that into the life of somebody this week that needs it, Father. Pray that you'd help us do that. We ask this of you in Christ's name, Lord. Amen.